Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Massey Bradbury. Massey is an entrepreneur and licensed therapist who specializes in high-functioning anxiety. In her work, she focuses on helping women break the cycle of not enoughness and perfectionism so they can live their most authentic life full of self-love and self-acceptance. Well, Massey, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you. It's going well. I'm doing very good. How about you? I'm great. Thank you. I want to get right into it because I know you specialize in working with women who are experiencing high-functioning anxiety, and I want to be sensitive in our understanding of what that is. So let's start there with just defining. Okay, so high-functioning anxiety. High-functioning anxiety typically is experienced by individuals that are often overachievers, go-getters, perfectionists, people-pleasers, type A, etc. On the book, this anxiety is not different than the anxiety that we know, right? If we were to diagnose it or categorize it under a disorder, it would be the same. The presentation of this anxiety is what's a little bit different for someone who is experiencing high-functioning anxiety. On the outside, it looks like this person may have their life together, or it looks like they're very productive. They always stay busy. They never say no. Someone who can do it all. On the inside, for that person, it feels messy. It feels that they can't keep up. It feels that they are always behind in life or in their to-do list. Okay, so let me jump jump in just a quick clarifying. So it seems to me that what's coming to me is differentiating a little bit between high functioning anxiety. It looks like someone who's thriving and doesn't necessarily meet our, what some people might have as a stereotype of what anxiety looks like. Absolutely. Exactly. It's the person that you see that might be very outgoing and they seem very social and they seem like they can, you know, they're thriving at work and they are thriving at home and they can do all the things. That is the perception that people get from someone who may be experiencing high functioning anxiety. But the reality for that person is completely different. They fear often that they're going to be found out, that they're going to be discovered as being a fraud and incompetent. And not only in the, you know, their jobs, maybe at home, you know, they really question their role as a mom or as a spouse or in all areas, there's a lot of doubt, self-questioning, second guessing, and just a lot of feelings of imposter syndrome. So tell me a little bit more about why high functioning anxiety is so prevalent and overachievers? Yeah, it's really, well, first of all, if we were in 
doing therapy, for example, and you came to me and we recognize that there's these patterns, right? We recognize that there's a lot of fear of failure and disappointing people, that there's that huge need to achieve and not stop, right? There's a lot of that critical voice that kind of we think sometimes that we need to keep going, that we need that voice that tells you you can fail, you can stop, uh, look at what you're doing, you, you know, all of that. So we recognize those things and we will first we will look back, right? How old is that feeling? How old have you been feeling like whatever you're doing is not good enough? When did that start? Right. And a lot of times what happens is that, you know, we look at your life and we can take it all the way back. And sometimes it's a surprise for people that some of this very uh, ingrained core beliefs start very, very young. A lot of times when we're toddlers or sometimes it's really, really old, the feeling, right? Even if we cannot recognize it, even if we cannot pinpoint the memory, like this is when it happens. This is when it started. A lot of times that is where it starts. And it may happen because of our family environment, our family dynamics, the way that we were attached to our caregivers. It may happen or may be reinforced at school with teachers, the interactions with your you know, students. And as you grow, those feelings just continue to be reinforced. And it's really hard to break out of that when it's, it feels like it's so ingrained in you. That's super helpful because I hope for any listeners that are identifying with this, that this just helps them have an opening to seeking outside support if that's what's aligned for them right now. But for some women who, for whatever reason, aren't in a position to make that choice, I'm curious if you have any favorite tools that you suggest to clients just to help with any anxiety or high functioning anxiety? Because I know that all women experience some level of anxiety at, at certain points in their life. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, what you're saying is driven statistically, right? The statistics say that females struggle with mental health issues more than males. Obviously, that's not to minimize the experiences of, of men, but women tend to really struggle, especially with anxiety and depression. Something that is really, that comes up when I think about women and anxiety is that is what is not seen, right? It's the mental load that we carry, is the invisible work that we do, and a lot of times the emotional labor that we do in our relationships. So I think women just juggle a lot, and a lot of times we have roles in our life, and we're just carrying it all. And I think that weighs very heavy. And a lot of it, we carry it in our minds and in our bodies. And a lot of times it goes unrecognized. So one of the first steps that I typically uh, recommend people, and I mean, yes, obviously seeking help, seeing a professional, being able to process these things is always recommended. And I also know that it's not the most accessible thing. For everybody, uh, when it comes to maybe finances or time and or energy and effort or child care, whatever that looks like. So it's not accessible to everybody all the time. And so the first thing that I recommend when we're talking about, okay, so what do I do here? Like I recognize that I have, that I may have these symptoms. I tend to 
overanalyze things, over worry, overthink, overperform, <laughs> all those things, right? You're starting to recognize the patterns. What do I do? So the first step is that self-awareness. Self-awareness is something that you may hear often here and there, but what does it really mean? And how do we really get there? I think self-awareness is something that we really build on. Some people tend to be more introspective and some people tend to be, you know, more insightful than others, but it's certainly a skill. It's a muscle that you can exercise. And so I think you need to become really, really familiar with the way the anxiety shows up for you. Anxiety may have some, you know, it, some common symptoms, but all of us experience anxiety in a different way or is in a very unique way, right? So anxiety can manifest in so many different forms, whether it is behaviorally or emotionally or cognitively, and we carry a lot of it in our bodies. So you want to be able to pay close attention to the associations there. They're like, how, how's your body feeling from headaches to tension to body aches to digestion issues, which is a very common one that sometimes people get surprised, you know, when we talk about maybe constipation or not digesting your food well, very common with anxiety. So again, becoming very familiar with how it is for you. Behaviorally may look like maybe you are more short-tempered with people. You are more irritable. People start to notice and maybe they say something. Maybe you don't recognize that it's coming from a place of anxiety or stress. But people, maybe you recognize that people are saying that or that people, you know, uh, have made comments or isolation would be a behavioral symptom, right? Sometimes you feel like you're so overwhelmed. You don't have time for people. You don't have time, you know, to be present, to seek out interactions with people or friends or families or whatever. So that could be another thing. Uh, concentration, if we're talking about the cognitive symptoms, right? That is something that we often see. We feel like a brain fog, racing thoughts, again, with the overthinking, overanalyzing things. Emotionally, you may feel dysregulated in the way that maybe you feel like you're have high emotions all the time or shut down. You may feel very shut down. And in fact, that is something that is very common with high functioning anxiety that we tend to minimize our own experiences, our own feelings, whether that is because you, you know, other people have it worse or because we should be grateful for the things that we have and no need to have those feelings. Women specifically or typically tend to really struggle with our emotion. You know, a lot of times where labels are irrationals or just being emotional, oversensitive, being dramatic. And so because of our histories and because of our, you know, experiences in life, a lot of times we don't handle emotions well. And so feeling shut down, feeling constantly overwhelmed, feeling completely dysregulated may be another symptom of anxiety to look for. I can trace sometimes in my own life of highest anxiety to when I was doing a poor job of setting boundaries. And I know this is something I want to get to with you because it's easy for us to fall into this trap, especially with this overachiever kind of archetype that you've explained and clarified a lot. And for lots of women, just falling into the trap of struggling to please others or simply not even being able to say no. And I love your super clear and simple approach to setting effective boundaries, because I think that this can help us all 
as a tool to ease anxiety and feel a little bit more in control. So can you give us a little bit of an outline of how you would approach that? Absolutely. And so earlier, just to take it back real quick, you asked me what are some of the things that people can do if therapy is not necessarily what they can do right now, right? It's not necessarily accessible for them. So number one would be that self-awareness. Boundaries is right there. It would be number two, number three, or number four, right? Boundaries are so important when it comes to our well-being and mental health. I love that it's being discussed more often and in, in social media, You, at, at least in my world, I hear it all the time. And it, I think it's great that people have the language now and recognize the need for boundaries. So what I teach my clients a lot of times is that, well, first to have boundaries, that the step number one will be, well, that awareness, right? That awareness of uh, what are my needs? And sometimes people ask, well, what if I don't really know what my needs are? And so the way to do that is to start paying attention to the times that you feel triggered or bothered by something. They, the times that you have either an internal or external reaction to something. So really be observant of like, okay, what are some of the things that really bother me and I really struggle with? Most likely, then there's a need for a boundary there. And boundaries are things that you can have with other people and you can also have for yourself. So step number one would be build a self-awareness, recognize your needs, what needs to change. Number two would be to communicate that boundary, to set the boundary. If you are setting a boundary with other people, then you need to communicate that clearly. This is what I need. And without over explaining, without over analyzing, without apologizing necessarily. And again, a lot of us, especially if we have high functioning anxiety, we tend to do those things. We feel like we need to over explain why you may want to change something. And number three, which is, I think it's the most important step, you need to honor the boundary. So you can recognize that you have a need, you can identify where the boundary needs to be and what it is. You can communicate that and say it out loud. But if you don't honor the boundaries, then you don't have nothing. It's inconsistent. You feel if it's a boundary with yourself, you feel disappointed. You feel like a failure, right? And again, we then get stuck in the cycle. If you don't honor honor your boundaries with other people, then they're not learning. They're not going to take it seriously, right? It's going to be something that you say and not something that you enforce. That's super helpful. This is a lot of really good information. So I just want to digest for a minute to make sure we're getting everybody's taking it in. So we're going to be more mindful. And part of that that stood out to me and what you were saying is just adding extra awareness, especially to a time when we're triggered or bothered, because they're that might help us get in touch with where a need. Maybe we don't even know it's there, but a need isn't getting met. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And then I'm also digesting as a second tool for navigating anxiety is opening up to setting more clear boundaries and making sure that you're teaching people your boundaries and also showing up for boundaries you set. So you don't feel that guilt of (laughs) Or yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. Like why people feel guilty when they set a boundary for themselves and then let go of it. Yeah. Well, it's really hard. It's really hard to set boundaries. It's really hard to change, to do things differently, whether for yourself or with other people in relationships, right? So 
It is nerve wracking. And I think a lot of times we observe or we take the responsibilities of other people's feelings and the way the other people can react to our boundaries, right? And again, if you're someone who's experienced high functioning anxiety, you are, you may be stuck in that people pleasing mentality. And it's really hard to want to advocate for yourself and do something that you know is really good for yourself, but running the risk of disappointing someone. And so we need to, in a way, learn to work, process, and get to the point of letting go, recognizing that we have absolutely no control over other people's minds and other people's reactions and other people's opinions, right? And also feeling empowered that you have the right and you're the only person that can make this happen for yourself. You have the right to set boundaries. You have the right to build a life that feels good for you. And if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it for you. So we need to learn to feel empowered in that process. I think empowerment really is is the word there. I'm curious with all of the women you work with, if if there are a boundary or two that you commonly see that they don't even realize that they have an opportunity to set that maybe they are just don't have that awareness muscle built up yet. And you kind of have this moment of like, Oh man, here's an opportunity. Oh, for sure. So one that came to mind, I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of resting. And a lot of us don't really know how to rest because it feels unproductive. And because it feels that if we are resting, whatever resting look like, a lot of people often think the resting may be laying down or sleeping, which it can be one form maybe, but not necessarily. And so a lot of times people feel that if we're not doing something that serves someone else, then what is the point, right? Something, doing something for yourself. So I think that is a personal boundary that I often see and work on my practice. It's creating a boundary with your time. What are your needs? And how can you carve a time during your day Maybe it's very small. Maybe it's just whatever you can within your capacities. But how can you carve some time where you can hold a space for you to do something that you need? Whether it's resting, whether it is just being alone in a quiet space, whether it is going to chat with a friend for 30 minutes and just catching up. How can you set a boundary for yourself? And I think it's very relevant for, you know, women when they have a family, how can they set boundaries when you feel so guilty for leaving your kids and this is my kids' time or time that I've taken away from my spouse or at work? Uh, this is a pretty typical one, right? We are in the generation that, you know, we're always connected. We have our phones, our watches, our computers, and we take everywhere we go. So we're always getting emails or texts or calls, especially the other people don't have good boundaries, <laughs> right? And so creating a boundary with work, that's another thing that I see often. And of course, after, you know, with the pandemic, work-life balance, you know, discovering what that needs to look like now, it's a, another thing. Absolutely. I I love this. And I, I really encourage anyone to, who's listening to find a way to find rest and know that rest is productive. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think another one, and I guess I give that last example that I see and it's so common, it's that 
inability to say no a lot of times. And of course, we do have the ability, but it feels like we can't say no. And again, it's because we're stuck in the cycle. And it comes across through so many different domains in our life or experiences in our life. It's not only saying no to a project at work, for example, that you really don't have the capacity right now, but it may be saying no to a friend. It may be saying no to your mom. And again, honoring that your needs are just equally important. And sometimes that no may may be, I can't help you move tonight or I can help you move this weekend, but I am open for lunch or I can visit next week. You know, sometimes it may not be a definite no, but it, it just, I, right now, I, 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 I don't want to do it. You'd really need a reason. It's just, it's just a no. Yes. That's been uh, something that in my journey, I'll, I'll say, I'll just share the language in case it helps anyone. I, I think that a past version of me probably fell into the trap of needing to give like the 99 reasons of, Oh, I, you know, or, and even apologizing. Yeah. And it's so empowering back to that word that I love. That's coming up so much for me with our conversation of boundaries is nobody expects a big explanation. So something I often say is thanks. It's not a fit, not a fit today, but you know, maybe make a suggestion, maybe not. But I also think about if I was receiving that text from someone else, I'd just be like, cool, you know, like, let's find another time. Absolutely. (laughs) I think a lot of time people put more pressure than necessary on themselves to explain why they're not up for something. And everyone wants to see you in a good place too, we hope, right? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And and what came up for me with that is a lot of times we we think our relationships are that fragile and that we are that dispos- disposable. We really are not that disposable, right? We shouldn't be. And if we are in relationships that is simple and not accessible to you right now, or a simple, no, you know, I don't have the capacity for this right now. I love you. You know, if if it's someone close to us and like, we can still validate that I care. And at the same time, I'm not available for this. If something like that really harms a relationship, then maybe it's just a good time to evaluate your relationships. And like, what did that come up? You know, Uh, we are really not that disposable and our relationships are not that fragile. So we need to remember that. And again, feel empowered that, I, you know, I feel secure in my relationship with this person and I'm within my right and following my needs. Absolutely. Well, I know we're coming up close to time, but given that it's mental health awareness month, I want to make sure I get in one more question because you've talked in wonderful ways about how to take a proper mental health day. (laughs) And in my experience, a lot of I don't want to call out just women, but some, you know, women in my circles will take, you know, make a big deal of finding childcare or taking a day off work or or doing that sort of thing. And they create the space, which is the first major hurdle in my mind, right? right. It's like, being like <laughs> I'm going to create this space. So that's applauding. But then they end up having it be this big, stressful catch up day of like, you know, weeding the garden, running to Target, planning the holiday. And I'm not convinced that's what everyone needs. So can you help us understand what a mental health day could look like? Yeah, I think what you're describing is a 
perfect example of what we've been talking about, right? Like, let's say you take a mental health day, but then you feel pressure to do things because we don't give ourselves permission and allow ourselves to just do, you know, us and just to do whatever you want to do without feeling like you need to do something for someone else or without feeling like you're failing them or failing in your role. And I know that a lot of times those things still need to get done and they're not that urgent. Most things are not truly an emergency. Some things may be, and that's okay if that's the case, but most things are not that urgent. So I think pausing and really reflecting on that and what feels urgent, why is that coming up for me? What is the worst that can happen if I were to push that to another day or delay that? Can I ask for help with this other task that I'm attempting to complete? Can I delegate them? That would be one of the first steps, right? And then the other thing would be really recognizing what you're needing in the moment. And again, I know that that's really hard for people. Uh, It's really hard sometimes to really identify what your needs are, especially if that's not a routine for you. If you don't really typically just go thinking of your needs, it's something that you need to work on. But what do you need that day? And again, need may be rest in and it may be I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm going to go meet with my friend and do something fun or I may make my favorite meal, but just for me and because I enjoy cooking or because it's a task, whatever that looks like, identifying it and really allowing yourself is giving yourself permission to do that and recognize that it's as productive and as important to do that than to not do it and complete something off your list. I love how you put that. That's super helpful. Well, we unfortunately have come to an end, but this was really important information. So thanks for all that you shared. And before we go, I always end with one question, and that is, what should women be asking themselves more? I think, I mean, kind of goes with the theme of our conversation. I think a good question would be, what do I need? If you were to unpack that question, what I need, how do I know what I need? Where is it coming from? How would I feel if my need were met? Right? How do I know that that's a real me, right? Mean and and how how would I feel? So, yeah, I guess I'll go with that. That's an important one. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Again, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, so I'm really pleased that we're able to share this information, especially now. But I'm sure my followers will want to find you. So tell us more about where we can follow you, learn more. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Therapy with Massey, Massey, (laughs) M-A-S-S-Y. And I post a lot about high-functioning anxiety, a lot about boundaries, and just a lot of information that comes up in my sessions and people that I talk with and comes up for me and things that I'm working on. So I just try to keep it very real and very short and sweet and valuable for people. So that's one place. I have a practice website, but I am only licensed in Arkansas to do therapy. And that is Living Better Lives, counseling, nwa.com. And yeah, so I have some fun projects coming up too in the future. I have some really fun stuff on high-functioning anxiety. And me and this therapist, local therapist, her name is Tracy, we are actually starting a podcast 
on self-love and parenting. Congratulations. All right. Well, keep us posted. I'll make sure to capture all that in the show notes so we can follow you and, and keep track of all these offerings as they come. It sounds like an exciting time for you. Yeah, it sure is. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at, at @whitneywoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.